1: He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. This is Pete Mitchell, and this is Peyton Jones. With yet another edition of the old church planner podcast, and this time I'm not going to try and say it in Spanish because I pretty much can go up to uh 10 diez in Spanish, and that's it. And we're at number
2: 12. I can, yeah, I can go up to uh 11, which is once.
1: See, isn't that what I said last week? I don't remember. Oh, that's where I learned it. Whoops. Well, then I wouldn't trust it. <laughs> I mean, I all don't. right.
2: It just was in my mind. I didn't know where it came from. I thought, why do I know that number and no other number? I can always remember Uno. That's kind of scary, man. I wonder, you know, we're going to talk today about things that we kind of pick up from people. And, uh, you know, sometimes we can pick up bad attitudes. We can pick up things that we think are right, and they're not very right. We want to talk today about what's in the news. Um, We got Miley Cyrus. Um, Many people been talking about um, her uh, video or her uh, – maybe you've seen the video. Maybe you didn't watch the VMAs, the Video Music Awards. For those of you that
1: are so holy, you don't know what I'm talking about. I got the um, uh, play-by-play from Michael Cheshire. Absolutely. You know what? I, I didn't even know. And, 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 and I, I wanted that, to make sure we mentioned him
2: in yet another podcast. Absolutely, dude. Cause every time we mention Michael Cheshire, dude, like an angel we get, gets its wings, <laughs> we get buttloads of money kicked down to us. So, uh, just so you know, you know, uh, Michael Cheshire, Michael Cheshire. Um, <laughs> no, but you know, ev- everybody's been talking about this, right? Um, and there's been a lot of heat. I mean, people are religious people are coming out swinging, you know, um, you're hearing the word th- slut thrown around. Um, she has become. I would say the national scapegoat of immorality. It's kind of like if it, it's almost kind of freaky, like it's kind of like she's become like the antichrist Jesus, you know? Um, like you, you, you put all of the world's iniquity on Miley Cyrus and make her pay. Um, crucify, crucify, you know, the crowd shouting out she, someone's got to pay and it's going to be her. And I, I find it, Pete, we were talking about this before the show. I loved your uh, observation on this.
1: Well, I just thought it was really interesting how no one says anything about the dude. What's his name? Robin Thicke or Robert? I don't. I don't keep up with. I'm I don't proud keep to up say, with the music these kids do nowadays. But I, I was going to say, I'm proud
2: to say I don't even know who he is. His music was so bad that uh, I'm just glad I don't even know his
1: name. <laughs> I, actually, I'm more. We were talking about this before the podcast. I'm kind of more of an Eminem kind of a guy. <laughs> there i just said it now everyone's really oh, going to hate me dude. but so i don't you know i don't listen to that kind of music and actually truth be told i think in my life i've owned two cd's that i actually paid for one was nirvana's nevermind which you know come on it's nirvana's nevermind yeah and uh, but i did take white out to the little baby swimming if you know what i'm saying it, oh it, i got you man i got you <laughs> if you remember That's that probably cover good.
2: I don't want to look at that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, everyone who's listening to this who has no idea what we're talking about is like, what? It's a little yeah, baby just, naked swimming. Just Google so it. Yeah, and he, the- is, he is anatomically correct. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, And then of all things, my second CD I owned was Jars of Clay. <laughs> Oh, dude, that was a hot CD. So, you know, that's that's me. I actually I've always been more of a radio guy. I love radio. I love the variety of radio. It's actually one of the reasons why if I was into music, I'd really like iTunes because it's not like one guy's music for 12 tracks. It's, you know, a mixture it's dude. whatever you like yeah. you know the playlist the shuffle whatever you want to call it
2: so you're more of a pandora guy and i think i'm more yes. of a spotify kind of guy i don't know what so. spotify is what is it yeah it's it's albums dude it's free
1: albums online ching we just got money for that too yeah michael no, no, See, i'm not i'm definitely <laughs> I, I i like it better as an angel gets his wings it's kind of like every time a bell rings an angel gets his wings remember it's a absolutely life. Every time he yeah, if Michael we want Cheshire. Hey, if
2: we want to go church history and go with uh, Tetzel, the monk who uh, was collecting for purgatory, every time uh, Mike Cheshire's name sings, another soul to heaven sings. Ooh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, that, that was his little ditty that he manipulated the uh, Dark Ages with.
1: Anyway, or, uh, we totally Mark got Luther. off topic. Totally Dude, got off topic. We
2: do. We do. But here, here's the thing. Just real quick, before we go back to reality, back to reality, back, here comes gravity, right? Eminem, right? That song right there, uh, Lose Yourself, that's my preaching song, baby, right there. that's a, I, I was 19 years old, or 20, sorry, 20 years old when I started standing in front of a mega church and preaching as the assistant. And man, everything he describes in that, you know, other than the fact that he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit at all, but uh, <laughs> but the, all those feelings, man, all those nerves, that churning, that barfing up your spaghetti, man, I relate to that, man. I used to, uh, I won't talk about my... My pre preaching uh, rituals, but uh, they weren't pretty. But uh, but that's song, I think about preaching. So going back to Miley Cyrus, right? Well, uh, well, my,
1: all my point was is that no one says anything about the dude. Like like she's doing the whole simulated sex thing against his crotch, and no one says a thing about him at all. You stumbled
2: all. me. You stumbled me. What do you mean? <laughs> Just teasing. You said crotch. You can't say that on a, on a Christian podcast.
1: Well, I'm just supposed to say groin, Pete groin. (laughs) Hey, I'm just happy that I don't cuss during our podcast. So come on, give me some, give me some credit there.
2: I'm giving you loads of credit.
1: Here's the deal, man. Um,
2: Right now, it it has media attention, and the Christians are in a frenzy. I I, I would almost say that there's like a a shark-feeding frenzy going on right now with Miley Cyrus. She has, uh, like I said, she's become the scapegoat, but it's interesting to me to watch the reaction of Christians and how easily we get it wrong. Uh, for example, like, uh, yeah, no doubt, you know what she did. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty lewd. It was pretty crude. You don't want to see that, but you know, you could just turn the channel off. Like it, it's not, but, but, but if you're going to watch the thing, you're just going to keep, you know, like, you know, my eyes, I, you know, you can't, you can't take your eyes off it. You can't change a channel. Um, Then, then you, you watched it, you know, that's, that's, you don't have to watch. I mean, shoot, man, I, I got Netflix, so I don't see TV, you know, specifically because I hate getting mentally raped by commercials. I can't stand that. Um, I have no control unless I change a channel. And, you know, I, I just can't stand that. But here's the deal with uh, with her is that, you know, when, when I see bandwagons and I see things, I always step back because I hate being a lemming. I hate joining in the crowd. It's the reason, like, we we're talking about music. If something's on the, uh, top 40, um, I tend to, to kind of stand back and go, Oh, you know, I don't know if I want to buy that, man. Everybody's just into it. It's a big thing. It's the emperor's new clothes. And um, i I always have like this kind of revulsion to whatever's popular and uh so much so much so when i was like 13 years old there's a band called Lovin' and rockets and uh they hit the top 40 with with one of their songs and uh and they got really mad and stopped making music i remember just thinking yeah man that's 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 exactly how i feel about it hmm. and uh they they became heroes but when i see a bandwagon mentality i always suspect that the bandwagon is loaded on the wrong side in other words, I think to myself, I'm sure Jesus isn't on the side of where the bandwagon's at because popular opinion always worked against where Jesus was at. And so as I'm looking at these comments, all that keeps coming to mind is what, what would the Christian attitude, what's the right attitude? Should we be calling her a slut? Should we be writing diatribes about society and how gross everyone is and throwing rocks? Well, when I'm reading the scripture, you know, I'm seeing Jesus and He's defending the woman caught in adultery. He's shielding her. He's, um, he's not joining in. I mean, I, I, I would think that the Christian church would have an opportunity right now to show grace.
1: Well, you know, when I look at stuff like this, which is very pre- prevalent, and, and really what it is, as is, is I look at it, is I'm like, okay, there is someone who is searching for significance in their life. Like yeah. desperately searching for significance, so um, <laughs> my wife and I were talking about this in bed last night, uh, right before we we both went off to sleep because I think it was like on the news or something, and and um, you know we had the TV on watching the news, whatever. So we're going to sleep, and uh, and she's like, "Well, you know, Miley's just not that attractive anymore. You know, she's she's past that you know cute kid stage and." Now she's an adult, and you know she's not as attractive, and so she's trying to get that that spotlight back and i I look at it and I'm like, well, here's someone who has had all kinds of fame, right been a child star, I guess is not what she's famous for, she's got a famous dad or something yeah she like was
2: that. uh Hannah Montana
1: yeah, there you go, Hannah. I Montana. have nieces, yeah I <laughs> I, anyway um you know, I'm not telling you how I know that I have nieces. Yeah, we're, we're, that's I'm sure. <laughs> just leave it there. It's, it's because of the nieces. No, it but, is, but you know, it, it is. It's the, it's the search for significance. When you don't have God, you're looking for a, what does it take for me to have position in life? What does it take for me to be somebody? What does it take for me not to just you know be a nobody and be in the background? And for a woman, uh, it's so easy with sexuality to regain significance. I mean, think about how many women that, you know, you've known in your own life. Like I, I can think about, even though I went to Biola, I mean, I had a very different Biola experience, um, than everyone else. I mean, Biola, you got to sign a contract saying you're not going to drink, you're not going to smoke, and you're not going to have premarital or extramarital sex. And, um, and everyone who goes there has basically said, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And my experience was very different from a lot of people because, I mean, I I drank a lot. Uh, my friends drank a lot. I had friends who uh, smoked pot all the time. Uh, that was actually one of the few things I didn't do. I don't know. For whatever reason, I never smoked pot. I've actually never done illegal drugs, which is kind of amazing when i look at my life and i look at my friends i don't know why i drew the line there but for whatever reason i did and um and there were a lot of girls that i mean slept around it didn't matter that they went to biola i mean it it didn't matter at all and i always looked at them even then i'm like man they're just they're hungry for love and affection they're yeah. they're dying for some sort of significance in their life and they haven't found it in jesus so they're yeah, looking and, everywhere
2: else. And also love, you know, Um it it's interesting to me because I think one of the dangers of raising kids in a Christian home um, and everybody keeps saying, Oh, you know, she's in a Christian home. I think one of the dangers in a Christian home is that because you're religious, everything's bad. You know, everything's wrong. Everything's bad. You're always telling them off. You always have the standard. Um, And it's almost like you, you can kind of give them a legalistic expectation to live up to. And, and they, your kids often come out of a home where if what you've given them is religion and not true Christianity, which is based on love, grace, mercy, like Jesus said, you know, you should have neglected the, the you know, the tithing of the mint and cumin and done things like justice and mercy, and these were the the weightier matters of the law. Um, these were the things that really mattered. Um, you know, often a, a kid in a religious home, uh, and you were a PK, and now I'm raising two, um... You know, the the risk that you run is putting the cart before the horse and not making love and mercy and grace and peace um, the main things that they ought to get out of Christianity. Instead, it's the, you know, you shouldn't uh, do this, you shouldn't do that, and how dare you have this bad attitude. And it's almost like we're ready to pounce on our kids like hawks, man. I The amount of, you know, we had to sign an agreement when we adopted saying that we couldn't whack our kids, you know, we just can't whack them, we can't hit them and in a way that was kind of good cuz i grew up with a lot of anger problems and um you know it was kind of like a um uh, it was a real check on me, and I've praised God because when the Bible says, hey, spare the rod, it's not saying go grab a metal bar and beat your kid. And Christians are these advocates for violence. Well, if you do any study of the Scripture, you realize what he's talking about is discipline, and he actually calls it discipline. Um, discipline doesn't mean that you have to whack uh, your, um, your child. You don't have to whack your dog. In fact, uh, dog obedience school tell you that's actually counterproductive, um, that the pet people seem to have kind of caught up, you know, little, caught on a little bit more than than the human people that, you know, but it's Christians. It's Christians that want to advocate violence on kids. And I know this is controversial, but I guess what I'm trying to say is I think in Christian circles, we can be harsher on our kids um, than uh, than anybody else. And I'm just I'm just not sure that that's a good thing. And so I see, you know, that she is crying out for love. And, uh, you know, it's like you said, significance, love, all those things. She's crying out. And and what, what kills me is when I see society, um, condemning her. And I know the Bible. I know human beings. I know people. I know myself. And so when I see that, um, you know, the, the first question that, that kind of came to me was, all you people, all you Christians, all you, you know, what's on your stinking computer? Like, mm. seriously. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees, "He who has the first uh, no sin, let him cast the first stone." I would imagine that what's on the computers of most people, I mean statistics say that women 30 to 40% of women have a porn addiction. That's a shocking statistic. Um so 30 to 40% of women out there. I don't know what it is for guys, but I'm I'm guessing it begins with a 9. Um but you know, uh, who cares what the second number is, but I would say the majority of guys out there have porn addictions. And so society is out there. It's absolutely hypocritical. And I would just think that at this point, the church is given this golden opportunity. And this ties in with church planning. Um, we're going to talk about the kind of church you need to be to actually reach unchurched people. You have to have this message right. You have to have the gospel 100% right. Because here's the, this is a gospel issue. This is the heart of the gospel. What is the message of the gospel? And I can't stand it when I see things like this and forgive my rant here. Usually, you know, this is this is the point at which Peyton rants, right? Always some podcast I'm gonna rant. Pastor (laughs) That's what Pete says when he tells me I talk too much, right? Um, Every pastor,
1: man. You can't shut him up.
2: Yeah, typical bitter PK. Shut up, dad. Deal with your daddy issues and leave me alone, pal. season. But but here's the deal, you know, you you've got these uh Christians out there and what are they doing? They're preaching condemnation. They're preaching law. Hey, so here's the message I'm getting from the church right now. Your sin <clears throat> is disgusting and you therefore are disgusting and we are absolutely livid at you for being disgusting. Hey, that sounds like the gospel to me.
1: Yeah, you know that. I think you bring up a really good point. I mean, you actually covered a lot of different points that I think, if you really wanted to, you could start to unpack those. Pastor, um, <laughs> and my first point, <laughs> my second point, and my conclusion. <laughs> like you, you know, one of the things that you hit on at the very beginning, and you and I have had this this conversation before. You know, I've got a son, my my first, and you know, hopefully, only child. That's me knocking on wood there. Um, I thought that was your wife knocking on the door.
2: I'm like, looks like it's time for me to talk for a while again. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, baby, I, what is it? <laughs> I I am. Come um, in.
1: I'm I'm not. I, it's it's difficult for me to to be a parent, man. I'm I just was not cut that way. And but I'm I'm like really worried about how I'm supposed to raise my son because you know having been a, a pastor's kid and growing up in still a very legalistic environment, very legalistic. Um, I realized that there is this mix of, yes, you want to train your kid to be, uh, you know, to live life a certain way. So there's this, this line of how do I raise my kid? How do I instruct them on the way that they should go? And yet at the same time, you know, be real about life. Mm. And and not so like condemning like it, it, it it's always interesting to me that um, I went to a, a Christian high school for uh, you know almost four years and I'm almost four years uh, high school is four years so it was almost three years <laughs> um, and I went to a um, uh, you know a Christian university and anytime time a girl would get pregnant. At either one of those institutions, they were automatically kicked out. Yeah. So I'm looking at this going for today, not back then. You know, because back then I grew up in the legalistic family, and of course, yes, you want the pregnant girl kicked out because you know, shame on you yeah. for for having premarital sex, and haha, look at the consequences you got to deal with. Yeah. And but but think about it from her point of view, right? Yeah, she's going to this christian school she gets pregnant and what's the result you're out of here you're gone yeah Yeah. you know and no other sin is too great yeah it's worse than our sin and we Um, can see it that's the thing we can see it like at at college um i was a, a resident assistant and one of my guys came to me and he's like hey um and and he was my old uh RA from the year before and he's like, "Hey, I got my girlfriend pregnant." I'm like, "Oh, crap, dude." So, and they both went to Viola. Um, she gets kicked out while she's pregnant. She can come back afterwards. He gets to stay. <clears throat> and to me, I look at that and I'm like, "This is ridiculous." Yeah. So, you know, because we can see her sin, we have to kick her out. Yeah. But what is the message that we're really sending to them? So, I don't I mean, for me, it's 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 a it's a it's a battle because I you know my son is two years old right so he's just now starting to to talk and you know the fun days are are, are coming to a close <laughs> you know I'm going to have to start dealing with punishment and all that other you know and I, I don't have an answer to that man I, I don't know how I'm supposed to you know raise my kid and and not and you know not be a, a total jerk about life I mean look at everything I'm doing now with, with Church Planner Magazine. I mean, yeah. will my kid be a PK? I don't know. But I don't know if that makes any sense what I'm saying. But.
2: It does, dude. And and here's the thing is that I think the meta message, and you brought up a really, a really good point where you said, we can see it. We can see your sin. So maybe what the meta message is, is that, hey, your sin, we don't really give a rip as long as you know, it's not out there for everyone to see. Like, you know, Christians, we're good at hiding stuff, right? Um, we're going through Galatians right now in our, uh, what we call our cogs, which is community of grace. Uh, it's a fancy name for a missional, uh, community, small group, whatever you want to call it. But, um, the, the deal is, is that we're, we're going through Galatians and Paul kind of comes out and he says, I am so astonished at you. That you were so quickly uh, going to another gospel, and you know, I you know, I'm teasing this out. It's a discussion group. It's I'm not preaching like a you know three five point sermon. Um, so, 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 what I said, you know, I first thing question I asked is, look, Paul's astonished at them. You know, they're they're young believers, and he's astonished that they so quickly deviated. I said, what about you? You know, do you remember becoming a Christian? Do you remember uh, a certain point like getting astonished like, hey, I thought as a Christian, what what's up with this? You know, why is this still in my life? I said, do you still get astonished at yourself? Or have you gotten to the point where nothing shocks you anymore about yourself? And uh and and what's interesting is of course that opened up the topic people are talking about what great sinners they were and how but that's not what Paul's talking about. What Paul is talking about was that they knew their sin. At one time, the Holy Spirit had broken them, uh, because of their sin. They had truly repented. And we talked about what real repentance is, is, is this brokenness over your sin. You go from, uh, you know, kind of being like the Don Henley, you know, uh, boys of summer. I can see you brown skin sign in the sun, you know, the, uh, you got your hair glasses on, radio on, you know, whatever. Um, you, you, you're all about the money and the this and the, the, the high life. And then suddenly, um everything turns in on itself. The, all those things become your greatest enemy. You're broken over. You, you suddenly see your greed. You know, you you don't see success. You see greed. Um suddenly now you you don't see, you know, your triumphs over women. You see how you've used people and hurt people and broke and this brokenness comes into your life when the Holy Spirit's working. We we're talking about in order to be truly saved, that has to be there. So it can't just be like uh throwing throwing your limbs up in a, you know, in an exercise, you know, I'm, I'm doing this insanity workout. Right. Um, and Shanti on this, and the, the instructor is always saying, don't just be throwing your limbs out, man. It has to come from the core. And he's talking about your abs. So you're doing knee raises. You're not just using your leg muscles to throw it up. You're not just throwing your hands up at some crusade. You are from the core. You are broken. You're not just marching down an aisle and going onto the field and fireworks go off. Welcome to the family of God. That means nothing. What means something is this brokenness in you. And so Paul is is saying, hey, that once happened over your sin. You knew. And he says, before whose eyes Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. You knew you needed a Savior. What Paul's astonished at is how quickly they've gone to legalism, how quickly they've forgotten that they needed Christ, that they needed saving. And now they've reverted back to saving themselves. And I think that's the, the thing that the church, you know, so I turned it around. How about this? Are you astonished at what a Pharisee you can be? And I think that's the thing that, that more than even our sin, I think we get to a point where we're no longer astonished about what great sinners we are. I think the more astonishing thing as time goes on is how much we can forget what great sinners we are, what great Pharisees we can become. Mm and that's what's happening right now i think personally um when i'm watching this miley cyrus saying i hey i know the world is is hypocritical i know that people are hypocritical religious people are no more hypocritical than uh, uh secular people man it's like uh it, human beings are just hypocritical um but it just looks worse when religious people are because um People know intrinsically, there's something in the heart of people that knows about grace and love and mercy and religious people ought to be showing that. I just see this as yet another opportunity that we have to to really preach the gospel and we've come down on the wrong side. Just like you mentioned a few weeks ago, Pete, that, you know, the political thing. We come down on the wrong side of this and Jesus managed to always... Come down on the right side. The Pharisees are throwing rocks. Hey, don't cast any stones. The woman at the well, when everyone abandons her, Jesus goes, he shields her. Um, he was always defending the weak, the tax collectors, his disciples, when they didn't wash their hands, the thief on the cross. Jesus is always the advocate for the, the lowest, you know, Mary Magdalene, prostitutes, um, a woman, you know, the woman with the, the infirmity for 12 years, um, who no one could touch. And Jesus calls her daughter. And, and it's the only woman he calls daughter. You just see these things in the scripture where Jesus is always cutting across all the bull crap that, that basically is, is our Phariseeism. And, yeah,
1: you know, and it's interesting, too, because, um, I mean, <clears throat> let, let me put it like this. A, a good buddy of mine, uh, a Christian buddy of mine, years ago, uh, he and I were— you know, at lunch one day and we're talking and, and he's native American. So somehow we got on the subject of uh, homosexuality and he was telling me the story. He was, you know, at another restaurant with his kids and this uh, gay couple, uh, uh, you know, took the booth next to theirs. And he's like, yeah, I hope they all get AIDS and die. And he's like saying it loud enough so they can hear him. And this is a guy who professes to be a Christian. But the interesting thing is my response is, well, you know, I wouldn't have said that. But, you know, if they do get AIDS and die, well, that's just the consequences for their actions, right? Because that's the thought that's going through my head is, well, you know, I'm saved. So I don't really need to worry about this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's too bad for them. And I obviously completely the wrong the wrong attitude, the wrong everything, and certainly, certainly not what Jesus would have done. I mean, Jesus would have been the guy who'd been like, hey, do you mind if I sit here at the table with you? You know? Yeah. Can we talk? Yeah. Because because um, that is the way that Jesus was, and, and Christians are so, like, bent on, well, we need them to know that we're not in agreement with their lifestyle, and so... That means we need to shun them at every possible avenue so that way they really know how we feel about this. And I don't know, man. I think we're missing the point. I think a lot of I times are so missing too. the point. And the reason why I, I, I brought so up too. the, the, the uh, Native American thing is, you know, he was – one of the things that he, he would say is, you know, our tribe, which was based out of, I think, Oklahoma. is like our tribe used to go around and kill all the other Indians that, you know, had uh, homosexual uh, – uh, in their in their tribes i mean that's what we did and, you know he was very proud that he had this heritage of you know we don't we don't deal with homosexuality but you know i look back on myself and here i am professing to be a christian and i'm you know i'm not like saying hey that's not the attitude that jesus would have that's not the attitude of that that's not it at all you know i'm sitting there going yeah you know i could that's pretty cool you know went out there and you took care of those sinners and wiped them off the earth way to go and it's I mean Yeah, no, I get it. it. it's shocking. It's it's the Pharisee that
2: we are. It's not my sin. It's not my struggle. And so, you know, I I <coughs> so I um I judge someone else. It's interesting because I read an article um at pastors.com. Um, it was called Ten Ways to Create Churches, Angry Millennials Love to Attend. And it just so ties in with this. And it, it here's what he says. He says, uh you know, there's been, um, a lot of information written on this subject about, you know, the 20-something obvious, uh, audience and why they're leaving churches. And he says, you know, there's kind of most solutions fall into these, uh, four things, creating a new type of creative and relevant worship service, being more cause-minded, incorporating social media, being authentic and real. I would say church zero, cha-ching. Um, <laughs> that, that actually, uh, it, it actually, other than the first one, um, it, it talks about, um, yeah, you got this culture. And I'm not ashamed for that at all. I mean, I'm a missionary. So I think missiologically, um, you know, and he says, I agree these four solutions are necessary, but we need to look at how they're feeling, right? Um, many experts, I'm just quoting the article now. It's by Brian K. Dodd. uh dated 26th of August. He says, many experts feel 20-somethings are apathetic. He says, I want to propose to you that millennials are not just apathetic, millennials are angry, right? So he, he, you know, kind of quotes where he gets his research from. Um, And then he says, the insights from the study that was done um, by, uh, uh, some, someone, the CEO of something.org and Umer Hake, I can't even say that, director of Havas Media Labs. Um, he says, here is the insights that pastors and church leaders can learn from in creating churches angry millennials love to attend. And, you know, we're not saying be a church planning whore and just cater to other people. I'm actually the opposite. I'm like, you do what God calls you to do and boom, you know, like just let the chips fall. But, I actually agree with this article that what he's talking about is actually missiologically the kind of church you need to plant. Um, this article was very, very good. And the first thing he does, which ties in with Miley Cyrus, is he says angry millennials will love churches who admit the world is broken. Okay, so um, the first thing you're saying is, look, we live in a broken world. Change is needed. There's this kind of grasping after this utopian society that, that, Christians often fall guilty of. They want, you know, I, I want to go back to the way it was, you know, I want to go back to the 50s with Beaver Cleaver. Guys, the world is not where you want it to be. It's where it is. And so you can't come in and still be ranting about how angry you are that, you know, this isn't the 1950s anymore. How dare Miley Cyrus in 2013 uh, mimic porn? porn is a way of life for America now. Like, of course, you know, that, that was, that was nothing compared to what people were putting in their heads every day for hours at a time. So, you know, she didn't get naked. That's, that's how the world's thinking. So we have to admit, the first thing we have to admit is this world's broken. Yes. Change is needed. It's sad that a girl goes and does that, but that ought to be your attitude. Your attitude ought to be, hey, this is part of our brokenness. You know, that as people, Pete, you said that, that this is how somebody tries to find significance. It's okay to point out, you know, what's broken with the world. But when we come out swinging with anger, it's usually because we feel that we've lost something in society and we're angry that society is the way it is. I never see Jesus coming into his ministry and he's just angry at the world's sin. He's just super angry, and he's always angry at sinners, and he's always chewing them out, and he's always ranting and calling them sluts. Um, Jesus accepts it's a broken world. He's a man of sorrows. Um, he's weeping. The only people he gets ticked off at, the only time Jesus gets angry, is at the stinking Pharisees. That yeah. ought to teach us something.
1: Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, because, you know, if you put this in light of being a church planner. And as a church planner, uh, reaching the lost. I, and I think that's really kind of what it comes down to for me as I look at all of this is if you're a church planner, who are you trying to reach? Are you trying to reach uh, those that are already saved? You know, are you basically – we've talked about this before. You talk about this in Church Hero. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That, um, <laughs> you know, maybe you're trying to plan a church because no one will give you your own mega church. Yeah. Well, you know, that has to do with you. That's your own selfish ambition. Yeah. And um, it, But if you really are trying to reach the lost, then and I'm not saying that this is easy. I mean, the hard part is I, you know, how, do we, how do we imitate Christ and how he dealt with people? Um, because that's, that's kind of what we have to do. I mean, you know, look at uh, Refuge Long Beach, our church plant. Um, as you've mentioned, we've got ex-sex uh, workers. I don't know who they are, so you know I'm taking your word for that. Doesn't surprise me. Looking at our church, though, yeah, um, we've got. I, I got to tell you the story, man. All right, last night, um, one of my buddies from college, one of my my really good buddies. There were three of us that hung out all the time, did a lot of stuff together, got in trouble all the time together. And absolutely no one would have accused the three of us of being Christians when I was going to college. I mean that, that would have never have happened. Yeah. So um he and I were getting together last night. Uh, we get together every once in a while and and just, you know, have a beer as as uh Do you, that-
2: do you want to tell everybody, Pete, that you became a good boy when you met me? <laughs> 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 well, I found Pete on the street corner in Los Angeles doing bad things.
1: Shaking my butt for money, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so <You're a> slut.
1: <laughs> I I know. So um so anyway, he and I are, are talking and stuff and we both went to Biola, right? So we we have this underlying um, you know, Christian background. But the difference between him and me is today I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't know if he would Consider himself a Christian. I don't know if he cares about God in the slightest, right? So we're at uh, we're at my favorite places, you know, which is islands to to have a nice frothy IPA. And yes, I can be a Christian and drink beer. If you've got a problem with that, believe me, that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> and um, so you know, we're we're talking. We're actually having a great conversation because I'm telling them you know some of the stuff that we're doing with uh, Church Planner Magazine. And, um, and I brought up the story because we, we were talking about stuff and it led to the story that I shared a few weeks back about the guy who offered me the CEO position for his company for a 30% stake for what, you know, very well could be a, a you know, billion dollar company if I were to basically commit myself full time to it, um, you know, in a, a three to five year span. And. So he goes, Is this going to be one of those stories that you look back on and you kick yourself because you didn't do it? You know, basically, are you going to regret this later? And so I just said, I go, You know, I got to be, I got to be straight with you, man. I have had a head on collision with Jesus Christ. Hmm. And he goes, When did this happen? And I go, you know, I, I can't say that it was a, a specific date. I can't say that it was, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I found that I had cancer and I needed to turn my life around. I, I didn't have anything like that, right? It wasn't a specific thing that just God really grabbed a hold of me. I, I said, you know, really it's <laughs> I go, it's been going to this church plant. I go and I started telling him some of the stories, and I, I told him the story of, of Ruben, hmm. and I told him, I go, you know, um, we were meeting in the park, and the cops came up to you, Peyton, and they're like, um, how many of your people, how many of your congregation are ex-cons? And you're like, I don't know, 30%, and the cop's like, yeah, that looks about right. I go, you know, Ruben is, um, you know, he's a, is he an elder or a deacon? He's a deacon. He's going to be coming on eldership um, probably within the next six months. I think I called him an elder, but, you know, whatever, yeah. right? And I go, you know, we got Ruben, who's an elder in our church, and he just got off parole because I was teasing Ruben on, on Facebook because he took a picture of his his little slip of paper that says that he's completed his parole and he's off parole. <laughs> <laughs> and So on Facebook, I go, that's a piece of paper you're never going to lose, you know, because uh-huh. – Look, I'm off parole, you know.
2: Ruben, Ruben was so funny because I got him reading Radical by David Platt, and I, I checked. This is when I first met Ruben, right? Ruben was kind of like he hooked up with New Breed because he had just gotten out of jail, and he said, I need to stay busy. So he came to a conference. He said, if I don't stay busy, I'll get in trouble, and I'll go back to jail. So uh this kid, I'm telling you, he's amazing. Um and so he's reading uh, Radical by David Platt. And I check in with him. I go, Hey, so, Ruben, how do you like it? He goes, It's pissing me off. I put it down. And I said, but Why? He goes, Because I'm on parole, man. It's talking about missions and I want to go somewhere and I can't go anywhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and it's stuff like that. And I, I just started sharing with him. I go, You know, my whole life has been about making money and I've been good at making money. And, You know, and then I brought up the story of Saeed and I told him the story of Saeed and I told him the story of Joel Meyer and he knew all about Belize. I don't know, Mm. maybe he had thought about moving there and just how bad Belize is. And I'm like, how can I, you know, look at my life and go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I made a lot of money, but. You know, thanks Jesus for dying on the cross for me, but gosh, I sure did make a lot of money, and you know, maybe I'll pat myself on the back and make myself feel good because I gave a bunch of money to missions or something, and that's great. Don't get me wrong, that's great, but I can do more, and and I just from on one hand, just just a
2: quick note, just a quick note uh, about giving money,
1: Um, (laughs) new breed by Church Zero and Michael Cheshire, ching, (laughs) sorry. And, and just a quick note, please. We could use it, so give as much as you can. <laughs>
2: I'm sorry, that was a serious point. This is actually hot stuff. I'm sorry. I'm no, not, no, but...
1: no. So I'm just, you know, it, it, you know me and hugging, right? Like I'm not a hugger. Don't, don't yeah. come up to me and oh, Pete, I want to give you a hug. Yeah, Pete's nickname at church is not Huggy Bear. It's not Huggy Bear at all. So <laughs> we're like we're leaving Islands, and like. He gives me the, the you know, male, I know you don't like to be hugged, but I'm going to give you one anyway. Like, I think just sharing with him what God was doing in my own life, like, had an impact on him. Mm, and That's awesome. And I was hoping it would. I mean, that was half the reason why I was sharing what I was sharing. I was like, you know, I, I wanted, oh, what kind of a friend would I be if if I didn't, you know, make sure that my friends at the very least my friends were saved. And yeah. I, I don't know if he is I don't know if he's ever claimed to be a Christian. Just because you go to a Christian school does not mean you're a Christian. I mean um especially uh, a school like Biola. I mean a lot of kids there went because mommy and daddy said we're not going to pay for you to go anywhere else. We want you to go to, you know, Biola. Yeah, and that's why they were there. I mean, yeah. I know I hung out with them. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just funny cuz you know, I'm I'm telling him all about this church. I'm telling him how we do church. I'm telling him about, you know, how when we were at the park, we did the half horseshoes and we would have the discussions. And he's looking at me and he goes, I know you hate talking to people. How did you do that? And I go, well, it wasn't easy. <laughs> don't, don't misunderstand me. It wasn't like, I was like, Woo-hoo, we all get to sit around and talk about God. I mean, that's, that's not it. I go, but, but it was just cool because, you know, people can actually talk and raise a point and, and, have questions and get them answered yeah and i think he was really taken back by that i don't know maybe one day we'll be able to get him to uh to to visit our church or yeah. you know a church would be great and um but you know my point in all of that is just that um you know ha- as you're doing a church plant and i think the impression that i get is that that church planners to me if you're doing the kind of church planning that that we enjoy, you know, as as you and I like to joke around all the time, you know, we we talk about someone, we're like, yeah, he's our kind of scum, you know. That's that's yeah. our our code. Yeah. That yeah, this is someone I, who I, gets. I think we uh, we we quote,
2: don't we quote? Usually, uh, uh, Return of the Jedi. That bounty hunter is my kind of scum.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it, it's just like because that's like our inside way of saying, you know, he's one of us. Yeah. He, he gets that we're broken, that we're screwed up, and he's willing to go and do what normal people would not go and, and be willing to do. And and to me, that's what, what really church planning is all about. And it's not, you know, hey, we're going to come out against Miley Cyrus, and it's, look, dude, we're screwed up. We're jacked up. I mean, uh, this last weekend I read the book, uh, again, by Michael Cheshire, the um, Why We Eat Our Own. Uh, talking about um, Christians. And, you know, he talks about uh, Ted Haggard and how he's, you know, become a friend of this guy and all the stuff that God is still doing with him. And it was really his atheist buddy who said to Michael, you know, the reason why I don't want to become a Christian is because of, you know, stories like this. And at the time there, I think at a pizza parlor or something like that, and there was a story about Ted Haggard on the, the TV and so, you know, Michael's first response is, oh, you know, not all Christians are like that. And he goes, see, that's my point. You guys eat your own. He's, he's totally asked for forgiveness. He's, he's repented, and you still won't yeah. accept him back. Yep. You still just reject him. You still just know you, you're too bad. You, you screwed up. You know you, Yeah, he embarrasses
2: us. This, this is the reality. This what I'm saying is, is he embarrasses us because he shows who we really are. Right. Like, it was kind of like C. Everett Koop, right? Um, I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was Mel White. Um, but, but I might be wrong. That might be the guy that worked on Bugs Bunny. I can't remember. It might be <laughs> that Mel, was Blanc. Mel Blanc. Yeah. But anyways, I think it was Mel White where he was the ghostwriter for Billy Graham's books and a lot of famous Christian authors. And he came out of the closet back in the eighties and C. Everett Koop, who's doing a lot of work on AIDS. Um, you know, was the Surgeon General and a very devout born-again Christian, they asked him, and this is, of course, courtesy of uh, Philip Yancey. We, I, I gave a big plug for him last week. Um, but they, it, Philip Yancey wrote in one of his books, uh, I believe it was um, Soul Survivor, How My Faith Survived the Church. And he's got C. Everett Koop, the former Surgeon General under Ronald Reagan, um, he's got him on there uh, being interviewed, and they said, you know, he he makes a statement, people often ask me, as a um, very public, uh, devout, born-again Christian, how I could have Mel White as a close friend. He goes, you know, that question uh, is the wrong question. He goes, the question I ask myself, knowing my own sin, is how could Mel White have C. Everett Koop as a good friend? Mm. That's the real question. Because if he knew my sin, he wouldn't want to hang out with me. I think that's where all of us have to—that's the message of the gospel. That's what the Scripture truly teaches. I was I was telling our group last night, <coughs> it's so shocking what Pharisees we can be, because if you look at the, the, the Bible, right, just the ratio of Old Testament uh, to New Testament, um, you know, over two-thirds of that book, um, in between two-thirds and three-quarters of the Bible— is Old Testament. Now, you know what the Old Testament was for, right? Paul defines it as it's basically trying to teach you that you need a savior. It's leading you as a tutor. It took a lot more convincing of, of the biblical writers to convince you, you need a savior than it did to just present Jesus, Hmm. right? Um, here's Jesus. We go, Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I love the parable of the prodigal son. Man, that is, that is shocking. You know, look at that. At the end and the father takes him back. And that's not who he told that story for. The scripture says that when he was done telling that story, the Pharisees were angry for they realized, quote, that he was speaking about them. You see, the, the older brother is the focus of the story. The older brother who gets pissed off and mad and tells his dad, you know, how dare you? I've always stayed close to you. And he feels entitled. He feels righteous. He feels, hey, I deserve everything. He has no understanding of grace, no understanding that he needs uh, a Savior, on and on. And Jesus told that story to show self-righteousness. And so the big deal for us is, is that the the real shocking one in that story is actually uh, God, that he loves so much. Yes, I agree. But even more shocking is that we can be the older brother and completely not even realize that 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 parable is about us mm. and what Pharisees we can actually be. We all identify with the younger son. We don't identify with the older brother, and yet every single one of us can be that older brother. Miley Cyrus just kind of proves a point. And so when we're preaching in a church plant, the world is going to smell her out. If you went into your church plant tomorrow and you are truly reaching people outside of the doors of that church, the biggest turnoff would be for you to go from the pulpit tomorrow and start bashing Miley Cyrus and just join on the bandwagon. They're hearing loads of that. What would really get the attention of you know, the twenty somethings or the people outside of the four walls of the church, people that are quote unquote trying out Christianity, trying out church. i I met at our barbecue last uh weekend back in Bixby Park. Uh I met tons of people. I had two two different people that told me, I've tried so much else in my life. I was talking to a heroin addict, and he's like, I've tried everything else. You yeah, know, might as well try going to church. Um that's that's people's attitude when they come in, but imagine the shock. When they hear the gospel, man, that cuts across all this nonsense of people thinking that they're righteous and whatever, and you just lay it out, the grace and love and mercy of God for Miley Cyrus and the Miley Cyruses of this world, yeah? That's all of us.
1: We all need a Savior. And you know, uh w- yeah. one of the things, too, that I'll, I'll say is that um, a, a great point, I think, in in Michael's book, Why We Eat Our Own, is he goes... You know, isn't it, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but basically he said, you know, Jesus said, you leave the 99 and you go after the one. And we would rather condemn the one. We would rather go, oh, you know, you're a homosexual or you committed a homosexual sin or, you know, whatever, and just burn you at the stake Yeah, rather than actually going after you. And that's, but that's not what Jesus would have done. Jesus would have gone after you. He would have said, "I want you back in the fold. I want you back in the family." And um, and you know, as as Christians, we just I I think back to you and I went to a, a conference, and uh, I wasn't at the meeting, but you were at the meeting, and I heard the story afterwards. You know how one of the pastors is up there ranting. We've actually got pastors who believe that that you can be a pastor and still drink alcohol. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> it's funny to me when I hear stuff like that cuz I'm like are you, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Did you forget that Jesus turned water into wine to a bunch of people who had too much to drink already?
2: Yeah. And I mean Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I love it when people go, "Oh, well, I'm sure it was grape juice. He turned it into grape juice. It wasn't wine." And oh like, man,
2: you know what? I I actually there's a, a pretty well known speaker who um who got a hold of we had a a an audio pack called jump school that I was handing out for free at a pastors conference. And I have heard repeatedly this guy responding to something I said about if you're in Britain and you want to be a good missionary, you drink beer and and go to a pub. And he just, you know, obviously he had a a drug addiction, he had all this, and he he just could not see that. It's no problem if you can't do that for, you know, various reasons, but to lay that trip on everybody else, I I never drunk beer until I went to Britain. And first question when I joined the firefighters, first question they asked, they said, will you have a pint with the guys? In other words, they knew I was a minister. They wanted to know, are you going to be like this awkward little prig? That's going. I said P R I G, by the way. uh, Who's going to sit on the fire engine and um, just judge us all, or are you going to be one of the guys and come in? I never got drunk, but I'd have a pint. And I tell you what, the gospel conversations open up so wide.
1: Beer was good.
2: Hey, you know, Ben Franklin said that beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. (laughs) And, and many people don't realize this, but John Wesley actually owned two breweries and uh, funded his his ministry um, through these breweries. And uh, so, you know, there, there's a lot there's a lot in church history. Martin Luther said uh, the only reason the Catholics come and debate us because we serve better beer. And I mean, I could just rattle these off, not because I'm like this beer aficionado or anything, or like it's my big thing. It's not. It just. To be a missionary, um, kind of like Paul, you know. You, you, at a certain point, you know, um, Paul was doing things. He became as a Gentile to the Gentiles to reach them, and so for me as a missionary, uh, that wasn't it, it. Wasn't you know? I made the sacrifice. Sure, I'll go have a beer. No, I'm teasing. But but it, it wasn't my thing. You know, I was never into beer. Never liked beer. But
1: but well, I made and I think a decision. You bring up a good point too of knowing what you can and cannot handle. Because absolutely. there are people who, absolutely, I mean, they, they were raging alcoholics and, you know, they're not, and Christ has saved them. And for them, it would not be wise to go and have a beer or have a pint or, you know, anything like that. And, you know, I, I think to Triple um, uh, X Church, right? Triple X Church, um, they've got a, a group of people that go to, um uh, at least one of the uh, adult cons and they've ha- had a booth there for years and years and years. I would not be the guy that you would want to go work at the booth. I, that would not be good for me. Right. I, I don't need to be around porn stars or porn or anything like that. I, I don't need that in my life. Right. So that would be my limit. I would go, look, I'm not the guy that's supposed to be, you know, doing that. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? is yeah. my point getting yeah. across.
2: You know, it's interesting because I, I was just reading a quote by Hugh Halter. He says, whether he was challenging people's view of scripture, hanging with prostitutes and half-breeds, letting his disciples mm. without, eat without ceremony, washing their hands, providing wine to guests of a wedding bash who had already partied too much or touching lepers, Jesus went against almost every religious norm and won the hearts of the heathen. And, and when I read this quote, it was on Facebook and one of the, the, uh, uh, the, the readers actually wrote, hey, you know, I noticed when he did that, he used the, the big giant pots, the water pots used for ceremonial washing. He actually took a religious uh, vessel and used it to make wine like that. That's just crazy. You know, I mean, talk about, you know, breaking the status quo and, and ticking religious people off, man. Um, that is just amazing. So, you know, I just want to, um, to kind of let you know that, you know, here, here's what we're saying. Going back to that article, um, you know, the, the way that you, are going to reach people. What, this article that I was referring to earlier, they mentioned, you know, the angry millennials will love churches who are rebellious. He goes on and says, it's not what you think, but churches who acknowledge things are broken, the rules need to be rewritten, have a greater chance of retaining millennials. In other words, you're aligning yourself not to the status quo, not to tradition, not to religion, but you're aligning yourself to the heart of God, to where Jesus is at, right? And that's kind of what we're calling for. Everybody knows who's read Church Zero Chiching that I am a bit of a reformer. It really these days I feel more like church reformer then church planter, um, I am a church planter. I'll, I'll be that till I die. Mentor church planters, but in the writings, in the writing sphere, that's what I seem to write about more: is reforming because I'm planning churches that actually reach people um, that are outside the church. And you realize when you're doing that the need to reform. And at the heart of that, it's never reforming. Reformers always at their heart always are looking to the scripture and they're looking to the gospel. And that's what it's based on. It's not reforming into some weird thing. It's reforming it back to what it was meant to be. And I always say that 2,000 years on, uh, the church still is nowhere near as radical as Jesus. It would be awesome if when Miley Cyrus danced her little jig, that the church danced a little jig in return that was so shocking and so different because <clears throat> it wasn't what everyone else was saying. That we were as equally shocking And our response, and that was with the grace of God, because the grace of God catches people unawares. It takes them off guard. Um, you, you, you'll, you'll basically, when grace comes, it comes out of left field, just like it did with Jesus. And, um, the one thing in this article, that it did not mention, and this this is the, um, it mentions things like churches who make a real difference. Um, they seek different types of results. Uh, they create opportunities to be a part of the solution. They're frustrated with the establishment. Um, all that kind of stuff is great, and it's all true. But one thing it doesn't mention that I wished it did was churches that uh, emphasize grace. Um, grace is the game changer. That's the number one thing um, that I believe that the world needs to hear. Mm. So,
1: yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I think that's, that's really what makes the big difference in people's lives. When, when we really start to understand the grace that's been poured out to us and, um, and we get it, you know, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, like leaving the 99 and going after the one, like Christ loves us so much that. He would die for us, and I I think about that in context of the stuff and the people who we hate, and we go, oh, you know, what? they're so evil. You know, they're they're gay. They're uh, you know prostitutes. They're drug addicts. You know, and we we just put ourselves up on this pedestal. Well, at least I'm not one of them. Yeah, but you know what? They're made in the image of God, and, and Christ loves them so much that it's the same amount as he loves me. You know, just like when we had Nigel Young on, right? And uh, and he was talking about being a street preacher. And this guy comes up to him, and, you know, he's gay, and he's like, you know, God doesn't love me, and he just goes, God loves you just as much as he loves me. Yeah,
2: scandalous. And think,
1: yeah, and I think that's what's so hard for us to to even wrap our own heads around, because as soon as we get saved, we go right back into, well, at least – i'm not one of those guys, yeah,
2: absolutely man, and you know that uh, that's that's what we want you know for all of the church planners to know guys you have a you have a chance to plan a church that gets the gospel right, that gets this stuff right you can you can repeat and allow your people to repeat these same mistakes, you can carry all this baggage into a church plant, but it is essential. When you're planting, that you're constantly saying the stuff we're saying on this broadcast so that people kind of get it. That the mission here is to extend the grace of God to people and so that they are able to to be broken over their sin, to, 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 to repent, to truly repent from the core, just like Shanti says in insanity. And that that they truly get saved and born again. But you will not do that by bashing sin. That's never, it wasn't Jesus's way, and it's not going to be the way that the Holy Spirit's going to work in your mix. So, you know, hey, um, before we tie up our, uh, podcast today, I wanted to quickly mention something. Um, uh, Church Zero is on Bookshout. If you don't know what Bookshout is, it's a, um, new website. It's, it's roughly, it's an app. Um, you get it, uh, I believe you can get it now in, um, Android. I just saw that yesterday, but uh, iPhone and iPad have it. It's an app that allows you to basically interact with an author on a book. So um, for example, like, you know, you can go down to Barnes and Noble and you can join a reading group that they throw every week or once a month. That's cool, but it's a time sink. Um, You got to read the book by a certain amount of time. You know, you got to read before the next meeting a certain chunk, and then you got to carve out time in your schedule to go. Um, On Bookshout, what often happens is some of the books are made free, Um, So you can get a book, download it to your app for free, and then you do it in your own time. You join the reader circle for that book, and that can be as big as nine people. It can be as big as 900 people. And what you do is you just, at your own pace, comment, leave a you. Do a quote. A quote goes posted on there, and then you comment on it. Hey, this is so true, blah, 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 or I disagree with this. And then everybody in that reading group can see it and interact with you. It just gets people talking about the material. Church Zero is one of those kind of books where I challenge people frequently. I say, this will change the way you think about church absolutely will. Um, it will be revolutionary to your thinking. So it's the kind of book that invites a lot of attack and criticism, but also gets people thinking. So that's what you want. So uh, this is a great opportunity for you to get on there. If there's something you didn't understand, something you want to challenge, stuff that you want to uh, kind of dig deeper into, get on there, join the Church Zero Reading Circle, and uh, we'll see you on there. I'll, I'll be interacting with reader comments, and uh, I'll kick some stuff off as well, is just went live, so you can hop on there and join the Church Zero Reading Circle on Bookshout. So that's my shameless plug for that, but I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys on there.
1: Cool. All right. And um, make sure you pick up uh, Church Planner Magazine and... The new issue of Church Planner Magazine will probably be out sometime this week. So before the next podcast, um, you should be able to get that.
2: All right. Well, hey, this has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you that in order to reach the people nobody's reaching, you have to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.
1: Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com.